It is good to meet you all. It's great to see old friends, by which I mean friends I knew a long time ago. <laughs> and it's great to meet new friends. This has already been a really refreshing time in worship and fellowship. Um, just what the doctor ordered. So let's, if you want to follow along in your Bible, turn to 1 Kings. We're going to take a passage from 1 Kings chapter 22. Kind of a long passage, but um, I think we'll get through it anyway. We're not going to look at every detail in it. I'm really going to focus in on one question that arises from the text. So this is 1 Kings 22. We'll read verses 1 through 28 about when you're there, I'll ask God's help. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you would forgive our sins, that you would draw near to us. We ask, Lord, that you would grant us uh, a spirit of power and clarity and truth. I pray that you would Cause me to say things I hadn't planned, but which will be a glory to you and a benefit to your people. Pray, Lord, that you'd guide us, protect us from error in the speaker or error in the hearers. We pray, Lord, that you would come and be a blessing to your people. Help us. We're in great need, Lord. We need nourishment. We need protection from Satan and sin in the world. Uh, our hearts, uh, like the song says, we're prone to wander. We grow cold, Lord, and we need you to enliven us, to kindle us uh, afresh. Give us power, O oh God, we pray. We're counting on you. We don't have any other hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read this text here. This is 1 Kings 22. We'll read through it. I'll give you just a brief kind of description of what's happening, and then we are going to... Uh, Ask what a true prophet looks like. Okay, so you could, you could title this sermon, The Portrait of a True Prophet. And we're going to get a great portrait here of this, this prophet Micaiah. So let's read here, starting at verse 1, chapter 22. <clears throat> and three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. And it came about in the third year that Jehoshaphat, king of Judah came down to the king of Israel. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we're still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram. And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people is your people, my horses is your horses. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here, Yahweh, that we may inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Then Zedekiah, the son of Canana, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Arameans until they are consumed. And all the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word... Be like the word of one of them, and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. 
When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and succeed and the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the king said to him, how many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he said, and this is Micaiah speaking now. So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you enter an inner room to hide yourself. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this man in prison. Feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. And Micaiah said, If you indeed return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen, all you people. Okay, that's a great story. That's a long text, but this is really a, a precious part of the Old Testament. I'm just going to really quickly, I don't want to spend a long time on this, but I want to really quickly just kind of tell you the story. You saw it. You probably understand what's going on. But just to make sure we're on page here, what, what's happening? What's going on in this story? Well, you have King Ahab, who's one of the worst kings Israel ever had. He's evil. He's married to a woman who is the daughter of a priest of Baal. And you know, Baal is this false god that Israel keeps slipping into worshiping. And Ahab is worthless. He's just a wicked, absolute worthless man. He is constantly battling with Aram, okay, which is an area near uh, his territory. And they have a period of peace, but then it comes time to fight them again, apparently. And the king of Judah, the other king of the Holy Land, comes north to meet with the king of Israel, Ahab. Jehoshaphat's actually a good king. But Jehoshaphat has problems like they all do. And you know, one problem he has is he kind of hangs out with the wrong people <laughs> more than once. And this is one of those times he's hanging out with Ahab. He shouldn't be. And Ahab basically says, Jehoshaphat, will you come with me and fight Aram with me? Jehoshaphat says, sounds great. Let's do it. And however, let's, let's get some prophets up here and let's inquire for the, the word of God, the word of the Lord. We want to find out if God is with us or not before we do that. Ahab says, that's great. Let's do that. He calls in, what, does it say here? 400 men. This is a this gigantic crowd of guys. They're all going to come in, in here, and they're going to inquire of God by these guys. And uniformly, every one of them says, it's a great idea. Yes, go to war. This is the time to do it. Strike while the iron is hot. You'll be successful. No doubt, everything is going to be great. The trouble is that Jehoshaphat, he's actually a good guy. He's a faithful uh, Israelite. And he's looking around at all these prophets and he says, you know, this is great. You have all these prophets here, but I notice not one of them belongs to Yahweh, the, the real God of Israel, which means that these guys are probably prophets of Baal, prophets of Asherah, which we see surrounding Ahab earlier in his life. And Jehoshaphat says, no, 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 no. Give me the real deal. I want a real preacher to come in here and hear what he has to say. He says, you got anybody like that left, Ahab? And Ahab says, well, I mean, we've killed every one of them we could. I guess there might be one guy left we hadn't got to quite yet. I mean, his, his day was next Tuesday. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's Micaiah, son of Imlah. The trouble is, every time I bring this guy in, he tells me that I'm going to die the death of the wicked under the judgment of God. And I'm kind of tired of hearing that. I really like what this crowd of other prophets has to say. 
right? They're always writing me books about having my best life now. Um, and this guy, Micaiah, and he's just nothing like that. He's just a grump. Okay. Well, Jehoshaphat says, oh, no, 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 don't talk that way. Let's bring this guy in. Let's see what he has to say. So they go and they, they go to Micaiah. They knock on his door and they say, Micaiah, um, the king's calling for you. He wants you to come prophesy. But here's the deal. Let's get, let's get, let's get something straight before you even get there. As usual, everybody but you is cheery and bright. <laughs> okay, Micaiah? As usual, everybody is favorable to the king's plans. We want you to do the same, okay? We'll pay you. Now, you know the prophets were paid. This was a paid position often, okay? This is how they made, ate their bread and fed their families, was by speaking and divining, you know, getting words from God and, and telling folks what was going to happen and how they should structure their plans. Well, undoubtedly, there's pay in this for Micaiah if he will just go along. And Micaiah's response is to use a, an, an oath that was famous in the time. You might remember this from another prophet using this in the time of Ahab, as the Lord lives. Do you remember what other prophet was constantly using that earlier in the time of Ahab? As the Lord lives. There's a prophet who would say that all the time. He's gone now. No, it's later than that. Elijah. Elijah's constantly using this oath. You remember Elijah was sort of the head of this college of prophets. Right? There's sort of these faithful guys in Israel who still said, no, we're going to stick to the Bible. We're going to just say what it says and let the chips fall where they're going to fall. Well, Elijah's gone at this point, but it wouldn't be uh, surprising if Micaiah was one of those young guys with him, following him around, learning this is how we talk, this is how you prophesy, this is how this thing is done. And so he seems to use Elijah's language. And what does he say? He says, look, as surely as God is alive, whatever God says to me, that's what I'm going to say when I get there. I don't, I don't care what the consequences are. and I don't care if I don't get paid. That's what's going to happen. Well, it's hilarious what happens next. I mean, this guy, not only is Micaiah faithful, but he's fun. Okay? He's fun. This guy is just pure fun. He shows up. Ahab says, okay, here we go. You know, I've seen this one before. Micaiah, we want to go up and do battle with Aram. What do you say? And Micaiah says, it'll be great. Go and do it. <laughs> just pure dripping sarcasm. It's so obvious that Ahab knows he's lying. And he says, Micaiah, if I have to tell you one more time to just tell me the truth, Tuesday is going to get here faster than you think. <laughs> right? Micaiah says, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you wanted me the truth. I, I didn't know you wanted the truth. I thought we were all in just tell you what you want to hear mode. Well, in that case, here's what I saw. I saw all Israel, like a big field, and they're sheep. The men of Israel are sheep. The army of Israel is sheep, and they're just scattered, wandering here and there. And they've got no shepherd. You know why? Because he's dead. The leader of Israel is dead. Well, he's talking to the leader of Israel. So here's a heartwarming prophecy for you. Yeah, he says you'll be dead before the end of the day. And that, of course, upsets Ahab. He says, Jehoshaphat, this is what I was talking about. This is why we, we, don't, really, we don't really have this guy over for dinner <laughs> very much anymore. Okay. But then uh, uh, Micaiah continues. And he says, let me give you a little bit more. I'm going to tell you what I saw in addition to this. I saw the heavenly court. I saw God seated on his throne. I saw the, the powers... The, the, the great powers gathered before him. And God was deliberating with him. He was saying, hey, uh, what do you say? Let's go ahead and destroy Ahab today. How will we do it? Who's got an idea? And one spirit says this, another spirit says that. But then one comes forward and says, I've got a great idea. I'll go out and I'll fill the mouths with, of all Ahab's prophets with a lie. And, you know, he's Ahab. He likes lies. He, he's sure to believe it. And it'll be the end. And God says, that is a great plan. Yeah, go do that. Go deceive Ahab through all those lying prophets that he likes to keep around the court. That's it. Well, Ahab responds in kind. He says, take this guy back, throw him in jail, starve him. Yeah, give him a little bit to eat, but, you know, make it hurt. 
And when I come back safely, Micaiah, um, maybe we'll talk about letting you out. And Micaiah says, that ain't going to happen. I'm not going to see you again. You're done. You're done before the end of the day. So really just a marvelous story. The faithfulness of this true prophet stands out. He's got a little salt added in with it, a little flavor, sarcasm. I just, that just makes it fun. I don't know about you, but I like it when I find a guy like this. I tend to listen to him for a while. Let me do this. I just want to search this, this text. I just want to just kind of rifle through it and find a bunch of different characteristics of a true prophet. And there's a lot here. It's a long story. You can get a lot from just sort of meditating on Micaiah, the way he deals, the way he's described. Okay, so we're going to do that. I think I got something like 12 points. I'll tell you what, if we don't get through all of them, that's fine with me. Um, but uh, we'll get through some of this, and I think it'll be good stuff. Here we go. The portrait of a true prophet. I'm just going to tell you all kinds of things about what a true prophet's like. Now, as I do this, think in your mind about all the pastors you've ever known, all the missionaries and preachers and the big name guys who put their sermons out there and you've, you've, some of them you've loved, some of them you've, you've hated. Just take Micaiah and use him as a sort of blueprint. Measure these other guys with him. Do that as I'm talking. Number one, here we go, 12 points or so. Number one, let's talk about the portrait of a true prophet. Number one, he belongs to the God of Israel. Okay, that's how this whole thing starts. The only reason this guy shows up is because Jehoshaphat says, give me the real deal. I don't want a prophet of Baal. I know what they're like. They're, I've kind of lost interest in them. No Asherah, no anybody else. Give me a Yahweh preacher, a Yahweh prophet. The first characteristic of a true prophet is he belongs to the real God. There's a difference. Okay, there's a difference. You can't just hodgepodge all this stuff in here at once and say, we'll just make this guy, this prophet or preacher, pastor, whatever he is, he'll just be sort of a general spiritual person. He's just there to sort of generally comfort you in spiritual ways. You know, if you go to the gym, you got a personal trainer. He helps you get your body fit. And if you go to church, you've got a sort of spiritual trainer. He just sort of comforts you and helps you in the spiritual life. It's not like that at all with a true prophet. The true prophet is biased. He's prejudiced. He's already chosen a side. He's on a team, right? It's like you sit down to watch the Super Bowl and the 49ers are playing and you got a friend and they're just a rabid 49ers fan, okay? No matter what happens in that game, whether the 49ers win, whether they lose, the 49ers, I mean, they're just, they can do no wrong. Why? Because you've got a rabid 49ers fan in the room, man. If they lose, it's the, it's the umpire's fault, the referee's fault. If they win, it's because, you know, they've been predestined to win since the foundation of the world. It just can't get better. But no matter what, the 49ers come out looking good. Look, a true prophet, he belongs to the real God. He's on his side. He's biased as soon as he walks in the room. He's not trying to be friends with the bad guys. He says, no, no, you are my enemy. I may love you, but you're my enemy. Uh, plain and simple. I'm on a team. Number two, and that's from verse seven. You see that in verse seven, Jehoshaphat asks for a real prophet of Yahweh. Interesting in verse six, if you look at your verse six, right? And the prophets are saying, go up for the Lord, we'll give it into the hand of the king. When they say the word Lord there, it's the Hebrew word Adonai, which is kind of a general word. You could use it of a man, you could use it of God, you could use it of a false God, okay? But then when Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of the Lord here? Now he uses the name that, that God gave Moses. He says, no, no, I want the real God, the Sinai God, who gave the law. Right? So the true prophet belongs to the real God. Number two, portrait of a true prophet. He's in the minority. The true prophet's in the minority from verse 8. How many real prophets do you have left around, Ahab? I only know of one. Right? I mean, we've been going, we've been going through them like... Uh, in a water, and they're dropping like flies around here. Now, we find in Elijah's time, there's actually quite a few more. They're just being hidden in caves to survive this evil reign of Ahab. But, even so, the false prophets are a dime a dozen. I mean, there's so many, 
So, man, you're just swimming in a sea of false prophets all the time. You know, we, we have this inclination to look around at our time and say, man, things have never been this bad. Folks, things have always been this bad. <laughs> Since about uh, the fall, things have always been this bad. All right, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's what it means to live in a world that is this evil. You find the bad guys everywhere. When you find a true prophet, boy, you better hang on to him because he's in the minority. Number three, portrait of a true prophet. He's not popular. He's even hated, and especially by the government. He's not popular. There are some exceptions to this, but let me give you a general rule. Like if, you know, tomorrow you move to Kansas or Africa or something, you got to look for a church. Let me give you a general rule. Not always true, generally true. The bigger the church, the more likely it is apostate. Why? Well, because the true prophets are not popular, generally. They're hated. Um, and they get into trouble with the authorities. Constantly. Why? Because in a fallen world, you take a group of people, a state, a country. They have to make a choice. They can say either God will be God or the state will be. It's just kind of how it goes. If we're not going to worship a transcendent power who overarches both me, the individual, and the, the, the corporate body, that corporate body and its centralized power, it's pretty much going to become God. That, I mean, that, that's kind of how it goes. And we have a lot of examples of that, right? So the bigger the church, the bigger the worry that the guy in charge of it is a false prophet. Not always, most of the time. This includes, when we say that the true prophet is generally hated, this includes the people of God. This is what's so tricky, right? It's not just that, I, oh, he's saying the true prophet is hated by the world. No, no, I'm saying he's hated by the world and the church in general. Yeah, the, the people of God. Do you think that Elijah and Micaiah were popular in the northern kingdom of Israel? Was the northern kingdom of Israel the people of God? By covenant, right? I mean, they weren't really. That, you know, if you're shaking your head, you're right. They weren't in their hearts. But they were by covenant. Well, take today. Take today. The church in general. Does the church in general like to hear a hard word from a genuine man of God? No. <laughs> No, 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 no. They usually don't like him. This guy, the true prophet, he believes things and he says things that eventually could get him arrested. It's that way now. We're in a state now. You can say things that you could probably find your way into jail if you really wanted to try hard enough. You haven't broken any real law. You haven't been immoral. You have just blasphemed against the God. Not the real God but the substitute God who we always get when we get rid of the real God, which is the centralized power of the state. Okay, number four. True prophet, he's always forecasting evil events. Uh, you ever read The Hobbit? Any Hobbit? You know, what's funny is I keep using these illustrations, but I keep being in rooms where nobody says they've read it, right? I'm like, why do I keep using these illustrations? I need to really get with the times. Ah, there's a, there's a great character in The Hobbit called Carson who's the who's the bowman who shoots down the dragon I can't remember his name Bard Bard anyway this guy he, he ends up being kind of one of the heroes of the story he shoots down the dragon that's coming to destroy the town but initially he's described as a guy who's always prophesying there's going to be poisoned fish there's going to be a terrible drought this summer there's going to be he's always saying gloomy things and everybody's kind of tired of him you know it's like get us someone in here who's going to you know Cheer us up. Uh, prophesy smooth things to us. Give, a, give us something that's, you know, give me a little pep. And Bard's not one of those guys. But I'll tell you what kind of guy he is. He is the kind of guy who shoots down the dragon who's coming to destroy your village. Right? Okay, that, that's, that's kind of like the true prophet. He's a real killjoy. He can be a real bore. But there's kind of a reason for that. Number five, true prophet, he believes God's word applies to everything. Did you notice that when Micaiah was called in here, he's really 
showing up at the, at the state capitol, right? He's showing up at the government building. And yet Micaiah has no sense that, well, now that I've entered the realm of the government, the word of God doesn't apply. The authority of God has somehow evaporated into thin air. There are these magical places on planet Earth. They're, they're amazing. These magical places on planet Earth where the authority of Christ, which he said included all heaven and earth, it just evaporates into thin air. Micaiah has no sense of that. He doesn't have this sharp division between the stuff that belongs to Jesus and the stuff that doesn't. He just takes that dividing line out and he says, now I'm going to keep things really simple. Here's Jesus above all. And everything's his. And if there's anything you're doing, whoever you are, that doesn't accord with his will, you're sinning. And you are obligated to return to the God of your fathers. That's all. He believes God's word applies to the government. Politics, rule, reign, kings. Princes, queens, it, it doesn't make any difference. He prophesies to the king. He tells him to his face. He says, Ahab, we've done this. We, 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 we've gone this rodeo before. You know what I got to say. You return to the God of your fathers or you face judgment. Same song, second verse. He threatens the government with divine punishment if they won't repent and conform to God's word. Why? Because they're under the authority of the Christ to their disobeying like everybody else. There is no neutral ground. And that's good because it is really hard to figure out, okay, when I walk out this door and go into that space, who am I now? Am I civil, Davy? I'm the civil person who's supposed to function according to these certain norms that have been created by fallen men under the powers of fallen spirits. And, but when I come through this door, it's Christian Davy. This gets confusing. I can clear up all the confusion for you real quickly. There's just one. There's only one fabric. There's only one world. There's only one universe. It's all under one ruler. And every person at all times is either conforming to the will of that ruler or disobeying and rebelling against it. They're all called to repent. They're all called to believe. The government is no, no exception. Well, number six, the true prophet is constantly being told to modify his message from verse 13, right? The messenger comes and says, now look, Micaiah, let's have a, let's have a word or two. <laughs> okay. Uh, hopefully, Micaiah, you've wisened up since the last time we saw you, right? When you barely got away with your skin. Micaiah, everybody is giving the king a pep talk. King's feeling pretty good at this point, right? Kind of riding on cloud nine, hearing everything he wants to hear. We want you to go and do the same. Okay, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be the icing on the cake. The true prophet is constantly being told to modify his message. People want him to go along and get along. They want him to live and let live. What is the matter with you people? You Christians, what is the matter with you? You think that you have a corner on the truth. You're extremely narrow in your beliefs. You have no idea what it is to be somebody else in another culture, having another upbringing, completely different from your own. Who do you think you are to say that you have any kind of absolute truth? You want to know one of the reasons they hated the early Christians after the time of the apostles? You know what the early Christians were called? They were called misanthropes, haters of the world, haters of mankind. They hate everybody. They won't go to the games and watch gladiators tear people apart. They won't go to the theater and watch our sexual immorality paraded on the stage. They won't come to our dinners. They won't go to the feasts. They won't participate in anything. They hate everybody. They won't go along. They won't get along. They think they're better than everybody. Heard any of this before? Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Same song, second verse. Okay. We're not going to go along. We're not going to go along. All right, you have the father who's full of his desires. His desire is his will. It means the same thing. His desire is his glory and the glorification of his son and the presence of his spirit flooding the earth and the universe. Then you have the world over here under the auspice of Satan. 
And it's full of its desires. Lust for physical pleasure. Lust for greed and things and money and power. And pride. The desire to have all of you look at me and say, man, he's, he's really accomplished. He's really something. So that's right. I've got something I can go on. I've worked hard. I've saved it up. I've become accomplished, and now it's time for you to behold my glory. You see how these two aren't going to get along? <laughs> you got two worlds at war. You got two gods at war. It can't be both. So this is what we call mutual exclusivity. If you have one, you can't have the other. And if you have the other, you can't have the one. They're not going to fit. They're not going to mix. And so the true prophet will continually be told, modify your message. Further, really following from that point, number seven, the true prophet is constantly being told, here's how he's told to, to modify the message. He's constantly being told, lighten the message up, okay? We get it, we get it. You believe those things? That's fine. Hey, hey at the initial stage, we're okay for you to believe those things. Down the road, we're going to put you in jail. But right now, yeah, yeah, go ahead and believe in Jesus and God and you've got the only way and all this kind of stuff. But can you lighten this a bit? Could you make this a little bit more attractive? Uh, make it so that we can digest some of this. We really can't take this exclusivity. Jesus is the only way. Hell is the other option. Holiness is demanded. The only way to be saved is blood. Blood of Jesus Hone this down a little bit and maybe we can get along. They never intend to stop it a little bit. They never, ever, ever, ever intend to stop a little bit. 50 or 60 years ago in this country, when they were saying, just tone it down a little bit, we were headed here, where we are right now, where I am saying things that are hateful, dangerous, bigoted, and in, in, in incitement to violence. We've come a long way. <laughs> they had no intention of stopping it at step one. They always intended to make it so that we were excluded. That's what the world wants. Don't, they don't intend there to be... So that, the world's better at this. Jesus and the world are better at this than we are. Jesus says, no, it's all mine. The world says, it's actually all ours, but we won't tell you that quite yet. And the Christians say, maybe we can all get along. <laughs> But no, 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 Jesus said it was all his. The world's saying it's all theirs. You know what comes next, right? War. That, that's what comes next when you have two countries who say, it's mine. They say that little spot in the middle, that's mine. They go, oh no, it's mine. And I already got my, my finger on the nukes. Does you want to mess around? That's the real situation all the time. We will never be at peace with the world. Uh... <coughs> I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Uh, he will crush your head, you'll bruise his heel. Folks, that means, uh, that means more than just the coming of Christ and Christ's defeat of Satan. That's the beginning of war between the seed of the woman, which is Christ ultimately, but it actually includes all of us, I'll suggest to you, and the seed of the serpent, like Cain, like the Pharisees, like everybody outside of Christ. It's war. There's what we call antithesis. It's never going to stop until the end. We will not get along. Uh, Proverbs says, the wicked is an abomination to the righteous. The righteous is an abomination to the wicked. Now that's a verse that's easier to see these days than it used to be. <laughs> but I have all kinds of really nice, unbelieving friends. Well, I'm glad that you do. I'm glad that you do. But, anyway. Okay. Eight, the true prophet. He employs sharp language. Sarcasm. Okay? He's not very nice. So here's what I have to say here. The true prophet does not follow the speech standards which are given him by the world. And here's where this even gets a little trickier. He doesn't even follow the speech standards which are given him by the church. 
Because it is not the church which is the standard of actually anything. It's only God himself. And then God expresses who he is through his word. And that word becomes a standard of, let me see, everything. (laughs) And that everything includes speech standards. This one's hard, and I admit this one's hard, but um, I could give you a lot of examples, I'm not going to, but a lot of examples of language in the Bible that is edgy and sharp. And it's coming from prophets and apostles in Christ and God. Okay, so what, what do I mean here? Do I mean to say, hey, this guest preacher came in and he, he told all of us to go out and start using sharp, edgy, you know, nearly over the line language. No, no, I didn't say that. You, you, you put that in my mouth. How dare you suggest that? Um, no, no, I don't think you should. I think that the norm, the norm for Christian speech should be gentleness, patience, love. Ephesians 4, don't let any rotten word come out of your mouth. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 says that revilers won't inherit the kingdom of God. A reviler is somebody who uses abusive language. So I think that's the norm. Here's the tricksy part. Then you have a bunch of examples in the Bible of prophet and apostle and Jesus and even God um, saying things that on first glance I would not call, I would call abusive. They are abusive forms of speech. What does that mean? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest this to you. Like I said, the norm is Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 6. Love, patience, kindness, forbearing with people. But apparently there is a category, perhaps especially in the ministries of prophets of God, where there is some sharp language used, um, quite sharp. If you want some examples of that, um, I'm not going to get into them, but I'll just mention uh, 1 Corinthians 16, okay, the end of the letter, uh, where Paul wishes a curse on everybody who doesn't love Jesus. Galatians 5, Paul uses some real sharp language for the Judaizers. Matthew 23, Jesus calls people fools, idiots, hypocrites, you name it. The book of Hosea, the book of Malachi, and others. You, you will see that kind of thing there. Now, again, what is this guy telling us? He's telling us to go up. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is more complicated than that. But there is a really important application here. And it's this. We've got to stop getting tricked by the nice game. The nice game, you know? You Christians are not nice. Why not? Well, you said that this homosexual guy is going to go to hell. It's like, okay, I have no animosity toward the guy. I love him and care about him. And I said that he has to avoid this path to avoid doom. You aren't being nice. Here's how a lot of Christians then react. They go, oh my gosh, I'm not. And, and, the, and the, the greatest commandment is, you know, right before you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, the, the real greatest commandment is thou shalt be nice. No, that's not a commandment. You shall love. You shall be kind. You should be paid. That's the norm, the Christian norm. But folks, we are going to say things. If all I have to do is read Bible verses and people are going to say, you are a cruel and unusual monster. That's where we are. I'm just reading Bible verses. So, the true prophet, you are going to find fighting, fighting words. He is not always going to pat, verbally verbally pat. He's often going to verbally punch. Don't get tripped up by that because that's actually part of the job description. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Every word that they used was on point of who they really are. Yeah, that's good. That's a good piece of that, you bet. Well, number nine. The true prophet tells men to their face that death and judgment are coming for them. That's from verse 17. You know, the true prophet, he's a sober-minded man. He carries a heavy message and he looks like it. You know, uh, some of the, you read your King James, uh, it'll, it will start off a prophetic book, like uh, Micah or Malachi or one of these books. It will describe the message that the prophet has to speak as a burden. 
It's like a heavy load he's carrying. Yeah, it is. I mean, do you hear what we're saying? We're turning to the world and saying, hell is hanging over you. It's coming for you. And nothing short of complete about face, complete repentance, seeing things completely differently, nothing short of that will do. There won't be any appeasement. There won't be any compromise. You either come back to the creator or you die. That's heavy, heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. It's, not, it, uh, it's one reason why preachers have to be really careful not to switch real fast from clown to prophet. Have you ever noticed that doesn't work? Like you're, watching, you're, you know, you're, you're listening to a sermon or you're watching a guy preach and he starts off with a cool joke and by the end he's telling you, you know, be careful you don't go burn in hell. I'm just looking at two ends of the sermon and I'm like, that joke at the beginning, it doesn't cohere at all with this hell talk. So what are you doing? Are you a prophet or are you a clown? Well, the, the, true, the true prophet, he's a sober guy, right? He tells people to their face, face that death and judgment are coming. Ten, we're almost there, almost to the end here. Number ten, the true prophet has been shown life-changing spiritual realities. You can see that in verse 19. What happens? Micaiah says, I saw visions of the heavenly court. I saw the God of Israel and the powers gathered before him. It's not the kind of thing you see and then you go make a sandwich for lunch. It's the kind of thing you see and then you can't eat for four days. Right? Like Daniel. Remember how Daniel was sick after he saw those visions? It's too much for the human body and mind. People often say, if God's there, why doesn't he just show up more often and just show up and say, hey, I'm here. Here I am. I'm here. You know, like God is like, I don't even know. I mean, like your crazy Uncle Ted. I hope nobody has an Uncle Ted, but your crazy Uncle Ted who just pops up, hey guys, here I am. No, no, I forgot to like just pop in and show himself to you. It's like, you may not survive. <laughs> Did you get that part? <laughs> you may not make it through the experience. It may kill you. So he's been shown these spiritual realities. I think they just, somebody described Jonathan Edwards as having hell in one eye and heaven in the other. He's just fixed on these huge realities. That's why he talks the way he does. Number 11. Almost there. Almost at the end. The true prophet. He doesn't speak for an effeminate, weepy God. This is a characteristic of a true prophet. He does not speak for an effeminate God. He doesn't speak for a weepy God. Who just can't do anything but cry all day long that people are going to hell. He doesn't speak for an effeminate, weepy God, but a sovereign, ruling God who takes violent action against his enemies. That's who the true prophet speaks for. Now, this one's important because our, the world at present, we like to say the word culture. Culture is a euphemism. That's a nicer way to say that devil-filled world that lies in the power of the evil one. That makes Christians feel better when they say, well, what's your ministry? My ministry is engaging the culture. And so what I do is I sit and watch R-rated movies and write Christian reviews on them about how the gospel could kind of maybe be thought about while you're watching it. That culture is a nice word for the world. Because the world's not so nice of a thing. Our present culture, the world, hates the masculine. They hate men. Have you, have you, we see that, right? Our culture hates men. It hates everything masculine. It hates everything manly strong, courageous, they feminize everything. Now, do I have anything against the feminine? I don't. I'm actually married to a very feminine person called a woman, right? I have nothing against women. I even have one, right? I like women. Women are a good thing God made. I have nothing against the feminine. I have something against things being feminine which shouldn't be feminine. I like when things that should be feminine are feminine. It's a glory to God. Probably the most beautiful thing God created was a woman. So this isn't a shot against women. This is a shot against men being women. Okay? Our world right now is on a hell-bent 
careen towards the pit in an effort to make everything feminine. Every man and God is not accepted. They want a feminine God, not father in heaven, mother in heaven. They hate. Our world hates the fierce, bold, powerful, virile, masculine God who takes charge. He does his will in all heaven and earth, and he doesn't ask advice from anybody. They hate that character. Absolutely hate him. I can prove it. Just read a few Bible verses. Sit down with some you know, person who hates Christians and hates the Bible and say, um, I want to read you a story about Joshua's conquest. You know, when he went in and obliterated the Canaanites. They hate the God who has the power of life and death and who decides you live, you die. And nobody questions him. Nobody can change his counsel. He is the boss. Well, they hate that God. And so we have to be really careful that we don't adopt feminine ways of thinking and talking about God as well in order to accommodate the world. Every time we do, every time we start talking about God the way the world talks about God, you're actually emptying the message of its power. The only way to be saved is to be saved. The only way to come back is to go back. And what we have departed from is truth, life, holiness, righteousness. So if you're going to be saved, you're going to have to come back to the real God. Not some shadowy picture of him. Right? Sort of flavorless, emasculated God. Well, that God can't save. So we're not doing anybody any favors when we picture him that way. Lastly, no wait, there are 13 points. I'm sorry. Two more. You're doing great. You're doing great. Number 12, the true prophet speaks for a God who unapologetically uses and controls evil. Did you see that kind of eyebrow-raising description in verse 23? God wants a way to destroy Ahab, so what does he do? He sends a lying spirit to do it, right? And a Christian reads that and they go, <laughs> right? Can I point something out to you? The text doesn't even try to explain it. So this bit that we do, the, why would God use a lying spirit? The writer of 1 Kings, he didn't scratch his head. Notice that? Micaiah felt no need to apologize for God. Interesting, interesting. We must think and feel a lot differently than Micaiah. Watch out for that. The true prophet speaks for the God who controls everything. Good, evil, everything in between, if there is anything in between. He uses evil. He controls evil. He's not evil. He hates evil. But this is his world. He's pulling the gears. He says how the machine works. He knows it intimately. Evil's got into the system. It's a bad thing. It's good. We're going to get rid of it eventually. But right now, God's going to use it. I don't like it any more than anybody else. I like it less than everybody else. I officially claim to be the person in the room who likes this the least. And I'm sure I am. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, it's quite an accomplishment I have here. Not exactly spiritual. Uh, but this is who the true prophet is. He just speaks for a God like this. He doesn't apologize for him. Lastly, the true prophet, he speaks, and I saved this for last. Did you see I just scooted by verse 14, and verse 14 is the most precious sentence in the whole passage. Look at verse 14 again. We've got to read it again. And then we're just about done here. 1 Kings 22. I'll start at 13. The messenger who, was, who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says, that I will speak. Look, that, that's, that sentence is worth more than gold. It's worth more than gold. The true prophet speaks what God has spoken. He doesn't modify the message. 
He doesn't modify it to suit the culture. He doesn't modify it to avoid the government. He doesn't modify it to commit the greatest Christian sin at present that I know of. Being nice. <laughs> the sin which almost by itself has slain the church in our country and in the West. Being nice. You have to be nice. That just goes without saying. No, the true prophet doesn't bow to any of that. He doesn't bow to it to keep a paycheck. He doesn't bow to it to win friends, make people like him. He has a message. You know, if, you, if you're a courier, you know what a courier is? Message boy, right? Delivery boy, delivery girl. Someone puts a letter in your hand. You just show up where you're told to show up. Say, here you go. This is from so-and-so. And they open it up and they read it and they go, Oh my goodness, this is terrible. How could you bring this message to me? And you go, I don't know what you're yelling at me for, man. I don't even know what it says. I don't even understand it. I'm just doing what I was told. No, no, what we have is we have a bunch of message boys running around, stopping halfway saying, I don't, look, I can't stand getting bad reactions from people. I'm going to open up this letter. I'm going to look in there and go, ooh, ooh, that is some rough language. He did what? He sent a lying spirit? Oh, no, 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 no. This is what erasers were made for. No, no, we're going to put, make that a little nicer. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Oh, baby, that is, we are looking good now. Put that thing back in that envelope. Come and say, here you go. Here's your message from so-and-so. Thus says the Lord. Only here's the problem, everybody. This isn't what the Lord says anymore. <laughs> Do you suppose there was ever a prophet who didn't completely like the message or the task he was given? Yeah, give me one. Jonah, give me another one. Yeah. Yeah. From Jezebel. How about Habakkuk? Habakkuk says, God, look at all this evil in Israel. Why aren't you judging it? And God says, I'm going to. I'm about to send Babylon to destroy him. And he goes, what are you talking about? That's terrible. He didn't like the word he was given. Moses, right? Yeah, right. He says, no, no, I'm not going to go and do that. No, no, no. There is a better way to do this. And you're going to sit down, God, and you're going to think about it. And when you arrive at it, let me know. I'll be here. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Like all of them, <laughs> okay? Like all of them. Folks, I got wonderful, wonderful, wonderful news for you. You don't have to like it. There was no requirement. You're going to speak this message and you're going to like the message. No, you're just going to take it and you're just going to speak. Let the chips fall where they're going to fall and you just try to survive. Try to get out of there alive. Oh, yeah, yeah, Hosea, right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, kind of, kind of all. And being a prophet was kind of a, kind of a depressing job. Okay, well, look, you don't have to like it. That's great. You just don't have to like it. I don't like it. There's things in the Bible I read and I say, I don't like that. I didn't used to do that when the Lord's power was still new and fresh on me. I didn't care what I read. I said, it's all good. It's all good. It's all right. I don't care if he's killing Canaanites. I don't care if he's sending people to hell. I don't care if he's predestined people to hell. I don't care what's going on. I'm just floating on divine power and presence. Then, you know, that stuff kind of wears off and God lets you grow up a little bit and say, okay, you're going to learn to walk a little bit. It's going to be a little harder than it was at the beginning. You're going to grow up a little bit. And suddenly I go, man, I'm not sure I like that part. I'm not sure I like that part. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's, that's what's happened in my life. It's, get, it's gotten harder, not easier. It doesn't matter. It's a revelation. God has spoken. It ends there. And so all I do is just say, it says this. And I go, oh, bigot, you're horrible. Why do you hate everybody? Why do you want to kill everybody? Why do you want to... Man, all I did was tell you what he said. I'm going to apply this two ways and we're done. 
Number one, this applies first, especially to people with speaking roles in the church, right? Pastor, missionary, uh, evangelist, what have you. Yes. Um, I'm going to tell you that most of the speakers, Christian speakers I've ever heard or heard of were frankly uh, Ned Flanders. No. Simpsons. If you didn't watch it, you shouldn't have, so that's good. I watched it growing up because I wasn't a Christian until I was 20. Ned Flanders is sort of this totally goofy, weak, lame version of a Christian, right? Just, you know. Oh, yeah, okay, right. Whatever he is, he's lame. I mean, he's just milk toast, you know, insipid, colorless, boring. And, and, you know, the show is saying this is what a Christian really is. They are, they're lame. Okay, I got I to gotta admit, you know, they're kind of right, judging by a lot of the preachers I've heard. <laughs> they're kind of right. Like if, like if Micaiah is like a straight shot of whiskey, like a lot of the guys I've heard are like a, a Kool-Aid juice box. <laughs> like you drink it and you're like, I think I tasted something. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but you know, if you take that, now I don't drink, just so you know, I'm not sitting around taking straight shots of whiskey or even anything like that. I'm not against drinking, but I don't drink. But I'm just saying, if you took a straight shot of whiskey, uh, last I heard, you'd know it. I've heard that. I don't, I don't have any idea. But I've heard that and I believe it. Like if you, if you sit before a true prophet of God, I think you're going to know by the end. Whereas if you sit before a guy who's claiming to preach to you and by the end you're like, cherry? Was it cherry flavor? Pineapple? I don't know. I don't know what it, I don't, I don't know, but it didn't exactly hit me. Okay, that's, that's not a true prophet probably. Like almost certainly. Why? Because this word is sharp. It cuts. It is alive. It is powerful. Okay? It changes cultures. It changes the world. It changes human beings. It changes hearts and minds. It changes a whole life when all the power and wisdom of men can't do anything to touch it. That's what this word does. So you better believe it's going to cut and punch and you're going to know. You're going to know the flavor. You'll be, able to, you'll be able to describe it by the time you're done drinking that shot. Okay, lastly, in another sense, this text applies to every Christian. Why? Because you're all called to speak. Uh, we have a prophetic function. And I don't mean saying supernatural things. Like, oh, man, God just told me that you did such and such the other day. Like, oh, no, I thought nobody knew. I mean, in a more basic sense, we have a prophetic function. We are the prophetic community. I know the Charismatics and Pentecostals use that in ways that I don't agree with. That's okay. I love the Charismatics and Pentecostals. I'm not mad at them. But I'm just saying, it's, we are the speaking community. We are supposed to, as a, as a community, look at the world, look at the government, look at whoever and say, you need to repent. This is what the book says. Well, we don't believe that anymore. It doesn't matter if you believe it, don't believe it, or up, down, left, right. The book says this. You've been warned. So we're all called to look at Micaiah and say, am I like that? I need to be. You know, if I go to a new church and I sit down and listen to a preacher, I'm constantly thinking, I got one question. Do you sound like the prophets and apostles? It's actually my only question. I don't care if he's tall or short. I don't care if he's skinny or fat. You know, hopefully he's not too fat, but um, I, I don't care. I don't care if he's bald. I don't care if he's handsome or ugly. I don't care if his voice is annoying. I got one question. I go, do you sound like the prophets and apostles? And I can usually sit there for about 20 seconds and go, nope. <laughs> nope. Let's go, Melody. Let's go ahead and go. I think we can still make Applebee's before the crowd gets there. <laughs> See, there's positives to this, the fact that we never sit through a church service. <laughs> really? Okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a quick, this is the end of the sermon. We're going to have a quick exercise, right? You guys ever do responsive readings or anything like that? Never? Okay, you're going to do one today. <laughs> this one's easy, right? Here's the full sentence. I'm going to tell you the full sentence, and then I'm going to say the first part. I'll tell you which part, and then you're going to say the last part. Don't worry, it's not creepy or, you know, I don't think anything weird here. 
You'll see what I mean. Okay. Here's a sentence. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says, that we will speak. So I'm going to say the first part. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says. And then you're going to say, that we will speak. All right. Ready? As the Lord lives, what the Lord says. That we will speak. That's it. That's a verse to memorize. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. It is thoroughly enjoyable. Thank you for your precious church. A great joy and a glory and a refreshing uh, gift. Lord, we ask that you would be present with us, that you'd forgive our sins, protect us from evil. We ask you to fill our souls with these biblical truths that we've looked at today. Help us meditate and mull them over. Let it be profitable. Let it bear fruit. We give thanks to you, Lord, God of the word. In Jesus' name, amen.